Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Mr. Ainsworth, how are you on this fine Sunday? It's actually still morning. Three more minutes on the East Coast of morning, sir. <laughs> I'm doing okay. It's uh, what I like to call cold here in Dallas. <laughs> um, I say <laughs> what I like to call cold because I don't know that all of you northern folks would call it cold, but it is the coldest place I've ever lived, and so that's, where, <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. How are you doing? Uh, I am well. It's uh, chilly here also. We had great weather on Friday for our game. Right up until we started playing, and then we got lightning, so we end up being delayed. And, of course, you know that once the lightning comes in, if it was warm, it's going to cool down. Because if it was cold, it's going to warm up. That's why the lightning comes in. So the next day we play the game, we go from a kickoff temperature that was in the 70s on Friday to kicking off our game yesterday, and the kickoff temperature was in the low 40s. Ooh. And it's still kind of that. So uh, we have won on Friday, though, so we are undefeated 7-0. and How did you guys do on Friday? It was a lot of first-game mistakes, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I think, if you don't mind, I think I'll start with a gold star. I want a gold star, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is the current UFC lightweight champion at 155 pounds. He won his championship defense last night versus Justin Gaethje. And Justin Gaethje, his nickname is The Highlight because he knocks people out. But he couldn't knock out Khabib, and no one knocks out Khabib. Eventually what happens is Khabib gets a hold of you, and it's kind of like an octopus. He only has two arms and two legs, but it feels like he has double that. And then he wraps you up, and then you're done. So he choked out Justin Gaethje, and then announced his retirement from MMA. Now, for those of you who are less familiar with Khabib Nurmagomedov, his dad passed away from COVID-19. His dad was his trainer all through his life. And so this is his first fight without his dad. 
He's 29 and 0. He won, I believe, 13 consecutive UFC fights. He's 13 and 0 in the UFC, including winning the title, defending it. He beat Conor McGregor, and so he promised his mom he wasn't going to fight anymore. And he seems like the type of dude that if he says he's going to retire, he is going to be done because he'll just go into Dagestan and disappear. And no one will be able to find him. So uh, he had an incredible career. Kudos to Khabib. And if that truly was your final fight, it was an honor to watch you, Mr. Ainsworth. How about your first gold star? Yeah, my first gold star. Star goes to Sean Kemp. So Sean Kemp was a big time player in the 90s. We talked about him, or I should be in the Hall of Fame mini pods ago. Fun basketball player for the Seattle Supersonics. And this past week in Seattle, he opened up a store called Sean Kemp's Cannabis, and he's the first black entrepreneur in such field in Seattle. Can I can the, I just say something? Didn't he miss the mark? Because shouldn't it have been called Sean Kemp's Hemp, right? No? Oh, okay. almost definitely. That's a much better name. Maybe we should text him. But what I'm going to get at is that he's the first black entrepreneur in that field in the state of Washington. He is also, because Seattle is missing out on the Sonics after they moved to Oklahoma City and became the Thunder, it is all Seattle Supersonics themed. Lots of green and yellow. Sonics big... Chronic. Sonics Chronic. Sonics Come on, guys. I could do this all day. <laughs> That's a little scary. But what I was going to say is that it's all green and yellow, and there's a big mural of him on the outside. It's very much a place to apparently come and enjoy festivities and watch basketball when you can't watch the Sonics. And so I, I want to applaud the effort to bring Sonics culture back to Seattle and for being the first black entrepreneur in this industry, because I think that that's an important thing in Washington as well. So gold star to Sean Kim. Absolutely. I'm going to gold star the World Series. So if you're not paying attention, it's incredibly interesting. The Rays and the Dodgers. So now I know that folks don't necessarily look at the Tampa Rays and think, oh, that's a team that I want to watch because I believe the Dodgers have two players whose payroll for just those two players is equivalent to what the entire Rays (laughs) team makes. But the Rays are in this series. It's a 2-2 series. Last night, the game is crazy. It ends on an error. The Dodgers are up 7-6, bottom of the ninth. They commit an error on a ball that gets hit to the outfield and two runs end up scoring and the Rays walk it off, win the game 8-7. to It's a 2-2 series. So now we're playing a best of three for the World Series championship. And these teams seem to be fairly evenly matched. All things considered, right, because 2020 is 2020. This World Series is actually pretty darn good. And uh, I enjoy watching it. I even watched it over some college football. And I was so excited for college football to, like, have games that ended at, like, 1 and 2 in the morning. Thank you, West Coast, for coming back. I appreciate it. Um, well, my last thing I would say about the World Series, though, I would point out that if you don't think a Rose Arena is exciting... I don't know what kind of baseball you're watching. No, absolutely He's a very, not. Randy Rosemary is a really fun, young baseball player in Tampa. But my first attention is going to go to your fellow New Yorker, Danny Dimes. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> for those that weren't watching Thursday Night Football, you missed the GIF heard around the world when you watched. It was a plain old-fashioned zone read play, and Danny Dimes pulls around the edge after pulling it on the zone read. Beautiful read, and he has an 80-yard touchdown that if there's ever been any such thing as a walk-in 80-yard touchdown, I mean, like, he takes off and there's no one within 15 yards on either side of him. He, they, all these stat, stats and statisticians have come out and pointed out that he actually hits the highest speed for a quarterback on a run play. In Faster like a than Lamar years. Jackson. Faster than Lamar Jackson this season. So think about that. He's getting up and going and going and going. And then about the 15-yard line, he starts to stumble. And then he just falls right on his face with a walk-in touchdown. It's a funny detention because they end up scoring on the drive. And while they end up losing the football game, it's not like they lost because he didn't score there. But, whoo, man, that was an embarrassing moment for the young quarterback so detention to daniel jones stay on your feet no i um i posted on twitter that that run was a metaphor for the game because it just started so well for the giants the giants got up like 21 10 or something like that and then it just ended by the giants defense falling flat on their face and giving up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to carson wentz sniper got danny Dodge. incidentally the little twitter exchange between uh mr ainsworth and mr cummings also quite entertaining um <laughs> my detention goes to smu and this is not because smu is awful it's just because they lost smu lost last night to cincinnati and what that means for them is that in this season of 2020 where they could have potentially got into the playoff because i really do think that if if it's going to happen this is a year that's going to happen a team outside the power five could get in uh but with a loss you can't get in you're done so uh smu lost to cincinnati the game was pretty close 
SMU had an opportunity to get a touchdown in the end of the fourth quarter. They missed out on it. And then Cincinnati, uh, they they had the same kind of Danny Dimes play, only the Q scored. Uh, it was like a 91-yard <laughs> touchdown run by the Q right after SMU didn't punch it in there in the fourth quarter. So Cincinnati, they're ranked number nine in the country. They're still undefeated. You got BYU who won 52 to 14 yesterday and who I think they know they need to make it look good because it was, I want to say it was 49-14 and they went for a fake punt because <laughs> yeah. they're trying to impress folks. So uh, BYU still undefeated. Marshall still undefeated. And guys, Coastal Carolina. They are the Chanticleers, in case you are unfamiliar. They are undefeated and ranked in the top 25. So there's still some teams out there that maybe can make it happen. So detention to SMU, even though you can go on to have a great season still, if SMU finishes with one loss, that was a program that the NCAA tried to put a bullet in the head two years back. And obviously they're still here and still competing. So props to them for that. But detention for losing because you won't be in the playoff. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Ainsworth, not to uh, down your master's degree alma mater too much, but do you have another detention? (laughs) (laughs) I actually currently am sitting here in an SMU sweatshirt this morning, so uh, (laughs) that's fitting. Um, My next attention goes also in college football to Nick Saban. We talked last week about Nick Saban. I guess we're talking about, you know, should he have been coaching or not after having a positive test for COVID a few days earlier. But today's is not related to that. Today's detention is because if you did not watch the game, on the opening kickoff, a young man named Jalen Waddell broke his ankle uh, in an awkward tackle as he was returning it. And after the game, it might have been halftime. I don't remember actually where the clip was from because I stopped watching the game once it got to be kind of a blowout. But after the game, we're at the halftime one. Saban is interviewed about the Waddell injury. And in the midst of being like, oh, you know, I feel bad for kid, blah, blah, blah. It's tough to see. You know, it's tough, a tough loss and whatnot. Nick Saban said it was, that's why you don't take the ball out that deep in the end zone. And it was like, listen, pards, <laughs> like, like, this is not a time for your football coach X's and O's. Well, you get what you deserve because you took the ball. That's, I don't, that, I don't care if that's a Freudian slip of the tongue or not. You can't, you can't go down that path just because the kid didn't do what you wanted to do. Like the kid is playing football and suffered a big injury. Doesn't matter if he did the wrong thing or not. Like that could have easily happened on the next play if he'd just taken a knee in the end zone and he runs a slant pass and gets tackled the same way. It wouldn't have made it any less unfortunate. Like, stop. <laughs> so, uh, detention to Nick Saban for not being able to turn it off for literally five seconds to show some empathy to one of your own. No, two two things. One, to be fair, Nick Saban is the guy who didn't smile after he won the national championship. Like, do you remember that? When, like, after the national championship, he was soaked in Gatorade and he was complaining about the plays that they didn't make to, to the yeah, reporter. Yeah, yeah. So, that's one. And then uh, the second thing is... You know, Jaden Waddell has broken plenty of people's ankles metaphorically. It's just so sad that he literally broke his because he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Now this might put some question into whether or not he's a first-round pick because people might want to see him rehab. I don't know. Well, I will say that they always say breaking a bone is actually better than bad sprains and ligament tears. That's true, but the ankle's it, a little different because the right, ankle the normally— joint is, The yeah. joint part of that's different. So well, we'll, it's also see. got ligaments around it, too, so there's going to be ligament damage with the break. That's the thing with I the will ankle. say— we had to coach against him in high school and I will say that he is a difficult player to coach against at the high school level and it was encouraging to see him be difficult to coach against at the SEC level and I imagine he would still be difficult to coach against at the pro level but I guess we'll see how he rehabs from this thoughts and prayers your way hope you're healing well and doing okay Jalen but absolutely uh as we jump into the podcast we're going to talk a little bit about Antonio Brown and that signing and whether or not Antonio Brown's impact will be greater than Le'Veon Bell's. Then we'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys and whether or not they should do everything in their power to try to acquire Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then we will wrap up with a discussion about the Van Gundys and whether or not Jeff Van Gundy deserves to be coaching in the NBA considering that his brother Stan just got a job with the New Orleans Pelicans. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Chaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, with the news that Antonio Brown is going to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it is time to talk about him. We, I, we, I don't know that we <laughs> talked about him on the podcast because he just hasn't been in the league. But uh, right. the thesis statement is Antonio Brown will have a bigger impact this NFL season than Le'Veon Bell. I throw that at you, Mr. Ainsworth. How do you grade that one? I'm going to go C-. Um, I'm going to go C-, and I've got a few statistical looks at it why but there's also just part of anyway i'm do do this segment in a minute but I, i'm gonna go see my what do you think mr cummings 
Yeah, I'm also kind of at the C range. There's some A stuff, there's some F stuff, so I tend to balance out there. So that's what I'm thinking. And, of course, because we both want to see Antonio Brown's going to make us look like a friggin' idiot. Right, uh, <laughs> 300 yards receiving. <laughs> okay, Mr. Ainsworth, so now it is time for us to provide Antonio Brown some locker room stuff to get him inspired. Because we both went C <laughs> on the thesis statement that Antonio Brown will have a bigger impact this season than Le'Veon Bell. So I'm curious because do you think Le'Veon Bell is going to have a significant impact or is it all about Antonio Brown for you? It's it's really more of a mixture. So when I look at the two of them, I first of all think that peak Le'Veon is a more unique player than peak Antonio Brown, although that's really splitting hairs because they are both Pro Bowl level players, right? Yeah, like, all I don't, pro I don't mean, players, all pros. Yeah, I, I don't mean that just like as a slight. It's just that a unique playing style that comes with Le'Veon Bell. Versus there's a lot of shorter, quicker receivers. Even if Antonio Brown is one of the better ones when he was healthy and ready to go. I I also look at it as looking at the current teams that are on in Tampa and Kansas City and kind of what the holes are. And like like it's picking holes on two very good teams, obviously, but like which one is more of a plug and play guy where they need him. Whereas in Tampa, you're looking at Gronkowski had a big touchdown catch last week and, and you got Mike Evans still and you got Chris Godwin who may bump down to the third receiver with Antonio Brown coming in if Antonio Brown's the same guy, but the truth is that that's a pretty strong receiving core already. You've got Kansas City, where like they're currently putting a lot of the load, as far as running back goes, in rookie Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And while we've seen rookie running backs do very well, that's a lot of load on a young guy that can now split that load with Le'Veon Bell, who's a much better option than like the Darrell Williams or Darwin Thompsons of the world, right? Uh, so <laughs> no, Those guys are pro running backs. I'm not trying to slight them too much, but Le'Veon Bell, like, like we said, is an all-pro running back. If you have to say you're not trying to slight them that you know you're trying to slight them this is the old man <laughs> argument again <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's interesting was when Le'Veon signed right when Bell signed with Kansas City the funny thing to come out was reports of how all of these players have done so well after leaving Adam Gase <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a couple like Devontae Parker right who's had a great career since Gase left Miami Kenyon Drake right has had a great career since he got to Arizona Jarvis Landry right, <laughs> I was gonna say really don't, well for forget, the Browns. don't forget Landry because he's definitely but been perhaps better. the one that I've been the most wrong about openly talking about I was the most wrong about and the guy that has had a tremendous time since leaving yep, Miami yep. is I've been Ryan, Ryan Tannehill who I honestly remember being a wide receiver at AM because he couldn't start for quarterback for them goes to Miami Miami is awful and then he goes to Tennessee and they're really really good Shaka <laughs> I was wrong on Tannehill too to be fair <laughs> I actually you know I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to go to your uh, team in Houston and go to the offensive tackle situation oh uh, well he commits a lot of penalties but he's good when he's not <laughs> but anyway what i'm getting at is that that to me also indicates that there may be something more up with Gase and jet screen and so on than up with Le'Veon bell <laughs> so I, I would side with Le'Veon on this for those reasons however if you look at impact and style of play the Kansas City chiefs are really running the ball once they're up 28 to nothing or once they once they have their big lead, and Tampa and Tom Brady are a very pass happy offense. He comes in, Antonio Brown comes in as the number two receiver, and he does a lot of that underneath stuff that we've t- we talked about off pod. How all of the the Welkers, Amendolas, Edelmans, like Antonio Brown is the best possible version of that short, skinny, fast receiver, right? And well, so it wouldn't even be Antonio Brown in that situation to me because Chris Godwin would be that dude, and what Antonio Brown would do is cement the fact that you could rotate those guys through there along with scotty miller who oh by the way is a clone of those other slot <laughs> receivers like they're basically all the same so that's just that's an interesting aspect as well and so anyway all I'm, I'm getting at before and i'll let you go because i've talked for a long time but all, all i'm getting at here is that i think that that's why i ended up at a c minus because intuitively i lean Le'Veon. i look at holes i lean Le'Veon. but brown is the type of receiver that brady plays well with and like you're saying if that means that they double team brown it opens up chris godwin to be another great version of that receiver type that Brady plays well with. Now, uh, the the question with Antonio Brown is, well, it's twofold, right? It's off the field. Is your off the field mess of a life going to impact us and what we're trying to do this season? Because Tampa's four and two. Tampa's leading their division. New Orleans looks like there's going to be some. This there's, there's some questions around New Orleans. Carolina lost Christian McCaffrey, right? So. It feels like, okay, well, we've got a real chance to win the division, get a home game. So you can't bring 
your mess of a life into this locker room and mess up this team, which is what it felt like happened with Antonio Brown at the end in Pittsburgh. There was a potential for that with the Raiders. And that's what ended up getting kicked out of New England was his life outside of football. On the field, he played the one game in New England and scored a touchdown. Like He was the best receiver New England had last season. The problem was he only played in one game. So Brady needed him at the end when he threw that pick. Um, the, the other piece as well, the best receivers in the NFL really don't win Super Bowls. Like the last time a great receiver won a Super Bowl, is that like Marvin Harrison with the Colts? <laughs> Like, for real. Start thinking about it. They had a pretty good guy throwing him the ball, too. Well, listen, Brady would be a pretty good guy throwing Brown the ball. (laughs) No, I I I agree. But I was saying, like, as far as putting the, like, giving the trophy, like, oh, well, Martin Harrison's so great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it would be like, it would be like the ball when they set the record. They just want to split it in half, you know? They split the trophy in half. But, um, (laughs) with the deal there is that if you look at guys like Julio Jones and, uh, D Hop and Cooper, like, I, whoever you want to say are the best yeah, receivers, yeah. they don't. Their teams haven't won Super Bowls, and that includes Antonio Brown when he was in Pittsburgh. Like the Steelers, I don't believe won a Super Bowl with him on the roster. He doesn't have a ring, so you get this guy who's supposed to be this high impact, great receiver. The the last one of those to win one, it's been a long time. Fitzgerald doesn't have a ring. There's just these guys who are historically great, right? Moss never got one. Terrell Owens never got one. These guys were incredible, and for whatever reason, they don't win the ring. But you know who does win rings? Great running backs and even in this era of football where listen all the rules are meant to pass this ball 50 times right it's it's definitely geared toward that style of play if you can run the ball and play defense you still win tennessee got to the afc title game last year running the ball and playing defense so if you start thinking about which position has the potential to have the most impact in terms of winning a Super Bowl, Le'Veon Bell actually plays that position over Antonio Brown. And if you start looking at the path, like I told you guys, I think that Tampa's the favorite or was the favorite at the start of the season. Well, now we've played some games and Seattle looks like they could go undefeated through this thing. So I don't know, even with Antonio Brown, that Seattle can be beaten by Tampa. But I do think Kansas City is going to beat everybody. I also think Kansas City still is the favorite to win the Super Bowl. I think if they see Seattle, I still think that they're going to win. So now Le'Veon Bell has the potential to impact them there because it helps them to run the football. It takes a little bit of pressure off of Mahomes. And let's not forget, Le'Veon Bell caught 80 balls twice, two different seasons playing for Pittsburgh. That's where I was going to go too as you bring up how the rules are made towards catching and passing the football. When they played together, he had the second most targets and third most yards receiving the football right like like he is still Le'Veon Bell is still assuming he they're we're assuming they're both those kind of football players right so I guess that's out there but if they're both those type of football players Le'Veon Bell helps you there as well I think that the rules actually play into a back like Le'Veon because you can't just clock him every time he runs that angle route across the middle as he's catching the football you have to like he has to catch the ball first like there's several ways in which I think it's also favoring him and he's got a guy named Pat Mahomes with him and while Tom Brady's great he's 40 whatever years old and now listen when you got 10 you got a chance (laughs) (laughs) that's an inside joke for those who listen to the pod um no what i will say though is that pat mahomes is like barely old enough to drive yet but he's still he's still like he's the best quarterback in the nfl right now like it's having that weapon is invaluable i think if he's the same guy that's really the question right like with both of these guys because like Antonio Brown hasn't played. Le'Veon Bell's been on the field, but what people forget is like he took that year off because of the contract dispute, but the year before he had he touched the ball three hundred and twenty one times rushing and then had eighty plus receptions. He had well over 400 touches on his body in the season before he took the year off so I'm still not sure that Le'Veon Bell is actually the same player that he was so both of those guys really that's a significant question Antonio Brown has missed the better part of two seasons we have no idea what he's going to be and then in Tampa the other piece that goes along with that is we have to remember that Tom Brady he is indiscriminate like if you're open he throws you the ball so it's not going to be one of these deals where Antonio Brown comes in and gets to be the star that he's always been Nah, dude, you're just the third read on this route. And if read one and two are open, I'm going to them. Because one thing Tom Brady will do, he will throw it to the open guy regardless of who that is. And Tom Brady, everything that I've heard 
about Tom Brady is he simplifies the game. He's going to the first read if it's open. And if it's not you, Antonio Brown, on a play that you might not ever see the ball. Now, how does that end up impacting Antonio Brown? Because we know that he could have implosions. And we also know that Bruce Arians already said he didn't even want to sign Antonio Brown a few months back. You think Antonio Brown didn't hear that? And now Antonio Brown's coming here. And if he's not getting the ball, all of a sudden there's the rumblings. And we know what that could be. So I don't I know, also, man. I also look at, so as good as Kansas City was last year when they went to Super Bowl, I'd argue that Kareem Hunt the year before, before he got into trouble and got kicked off the team. Like, I'd argue Kareem Hunt was the better running back option they had the year before than what they were trotting out there last year, right? If I look at Kareem Hunt's numbers with, you know, the same type of offense and a younger Pat Mahomes, he hit 121 rushing yards against Denver in that good defense. He had... A hundred and five yards receiving against New England. He had like he had a couple touchdowns against LA in that tremendous like the best football game I ever watched on Monday night that one night. Right? <laughs> um, like he he put up big numbers week in week out when he was there. And there is zero doubt in my mind that the best version of Le'Veon Bell is better. Right? And like, we have to know <laughs> that it's the best version of Le'Veon Bell. That's really the question, right? That's really the question. So that's I guess we've been really pumping up that Le'Veon wins this argument. The reason again we talked about how Antonio Brown's still really good running backs. Tend to age quicker than receivers, and so drop my, off of a friggin' cliff. That's what right. they do. <laughs> and so my hesitation to just flunking the thesis, and the reason I gave it a C minus is the truth is Le'Veon Bell is probably less likely to be that guy. the The aging process Le'Veon Bell is going to be weird because he had the year off and whatnot, and and he refused to play some here and there, right? And so I don't I don't know how it's going to work out as far as like a traditional running back would age. He also plays differently than a traditional running back in that he's a slow to fast player at the most extreme sense of the phrase, and he is a pass catcher as well, and and so on. And so I guess what I'm getting at is there is a real possibility that there is no shot that that's Le'Veon Bell, right? Like there's a real possibility that it's a great name on a jersey, kind of like a couple of the running backs in Tampa that had great years <laughs> and is now just kind of like another guy and if that's the case it'd be really easy for Antonio Brown because of the way he can demand coverage for because of the way he can things he can do once he catches the ball the way he can break the top off of a defense he is always in immaculate shape for all, for all his faults he does not not work out right so I guess there's that potential and that's keeping me from flunking this thing well, the other piece as well is that the teams that seemed to be favored to get Antonio Brown until Tampa came in and swooped them up were Seattle and Baltimore. And let me just say this. If Antonio Brown is 80% of what he was, the fact that Tampa just kept him away from Seattle and Baltimore might be a win, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, Antonio Brown is exactly what Baltimore needs. Because they have Hollywood Brown who'll go deep and then they have a threat with their tight end. But they don't have a receiving threat who is multiple in terms of the different routes that he could run. Brown can run the whole tree, so you have to respect that. And that all of a sudden opened things up a little bit for Lamar if he would have went to Baltimore. Seattle, uh, Katie Nolan on her podcast this week, she talked about a uh, veggie pizza. And she said that adding a Le'Veon Bell is like veggie pizza in the sense that, you know, pizza is fine. And then people think that they're making it healthier by adding vegetables to it when the reality is you're actually just adding more calories. Like veggie pizza doesn't make cheese pizza more healthy. Cheese pizza is actually healthier because you remove the calories that would come from the veggies. Now, of course, is the vitamin argument, but just go with the metaphor. Um, right, that's, right, right. that's what maybe Antonio Brown could have been to Seattle. It's just a, an additional piece on a team that seems like they already have a lot of pieces yeah here's my one qualm with that is i love a good supreme pizza and i would argue that the crunchiness <laughs> of the bell pepper that's a big part of it that's a big part of it katie i disagree okay parker so the thesis statement for this commercial is james harden has the best beard in sports what do you think about that thesis statement oh i give it an a you know as a houston guy we, we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him dallas keiko lots of big beards in the houston area what do you think about the thesis so i'm a jets fan and i absolutely love the beard that ryan fitzpatrick has so maybe i would give ryan fitzpatrick the nod over james harden but you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane so check out the beard struggle the beard struggle they make oils they make bombs they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh i know i've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts it's nice and long these days it <laughs> helps keep it nice and healthy and hydrated and if you're listening to our show you can use 
FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, Mr. Cummings, our second thesis sticks in the NFL this week, and it goes to, I'll say my Dallas Cowboys, although I feel much more like just a Dallas resident and we're talking about the Cowboys these days. Um, The thesis reads, the Cowboys should do whatever it takes to pick up Ryan Fitzpatrick. What do you say about that? I'm going to say A-. minus. There's only one point that's even worth considering, and let me just say, I'm not even that strong behind that. So, A minus. What do you say, Mr. Ainsworth? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I would say I'm at a high C, low B because I see some flaws in it. So, that's interesting. Okay, we'll talk in a second. All right, now, Mr. Cummings, you almost gave this thesis an A plus. It sounded like you were very, very close, and you don't give out a whole lot of those. And so, I got to ask, what'd you like about this one? So, Ryan Fitzpatrick to me is clearly a better option than Andy Dalton. And that's really what it comes down to. Now, I'll just start with the piece that made me say A-. minus. The minus is only the contract situation. And so once you make a trade for a player, you're going to have to give up something, and then you're going to take on salary. So the question becomes, how do you manage that salary piece? I have no idea what Dallas's salary situation would be. I know that they would have to probably give up draft capital in some way, shape, or form. So when you start talking about doing that to pick up a player, that, to me, is the only minus here. If you look at Dallas, they are in a division that's abundantly winnable. And if Dak had not gotten injured, I think everyone would still say that Dallas is going to win that division. Even with their bad defense, they're going to win the division. And if they win that division, they're in the dance. And once you're in the dance, now you got a shot. As someone who roots for the New York Giants, I saw the New York Giants win two Super Bowls going 9-7 and in the regular season. So once you get in the dance, now you got a shot. You could get hot. Right. And if you have a Dak Prescott, you got maybe the best player in most of the games that you're playing in. Right. Now, the difference with Dallas here is that you wouldn't be it's not Dak. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's not Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is clearly better. What I would say is on any given Sunday, Ryan Fitzpatrick can be better than Dak Prescott. And on any given Sunday, Ryan Fitzpatrick can be way better than Andy Dalton. And so to me, the risk feels really low. If you pick up Ryan Fitzpatrick, the salary cap implication, you have to consider that. But the draft pick you're going to give up is probably pretty low. You're probably giving up a six or a seven round draft pick to go get him. Now you got him in. And if nothing else, he competes with Andy Dalton and he pushes Andy Dalton. And then you figure out, okay, is Dalton really the guy who we need to go with? Or do we have a better option? But you know. That with Fitzpatrick, when he gets it going, he's a guy that throws for 400, 500 yards. The issue was just consistency with him. With Andy Dalton, you know what that is. Andy Dalton couldn't push Cincinnati when he was the dude there to do anything more than get into the playoffs. He couldn't win a playoff game. He could never beat Pittsburgh. So what Andy Dalton is, is a guy who he can steady the ship a little bit if Dak's out. But on a team that has no defense, so you're going to have to be in shootouts, I don't know that you want Andy Dalton as your gunslinger and if Zeke's gonna have this fumbling issue which he fumbled the ball twice in the last game but he's fumbled the ball I believe four times this season now the piece that you normally relied on to steady the ship which is just turn around and hand it off to Zeke that piece is questionable it feels like you're gonna be down in some games or you're gonna need to win games in shootouts so give me the guy who's got bullets in the gun who's done that before. And Ryan Fitzpatrick's done more of that than Andy Dalton. So to me, go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And oh, by the way, if you just look at this season, Ryan Fitzpatrick has had a better season than Andy Dalton this season. I know Dalton's only played the one game, but he sucked in the one game. Ryan Fitzpatrick, in the one game. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick had Miami winning games. And now they're going to throw two in there. So to me, it's Fitzy. And it's not really that close. So, And the what's the worst case scenario? Fitzy sucks. Then you, you just have a backup quarterback. You only give up a six-run draft pick for. And you can still run the red rifle out there. Well, I guess my deal is I don't know what Miami would take for it. And so that's part of it too, right? Is that you're offering some sort of a trade without necessarily knowing what you're throwing their way. Because Dallas does have skill position talent. Dallas does have some good players. They've just underperformed this year, right? Like, like... I don't know what 
Miami's going to demand, but I, I wouldn't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater on this season and go try and get Ryan Fitzpatrick to win a bunch of games this season. When the truth is, you know, we're hoping that Dak Prescott can make a full recovery and you move on next season. I would also look at, you're arguing Dallas needs to move ahead and get into the dance. I don't know that that, I mean, they're sitting here at two and four. There is a bunch of teams at one and five. The Giants are one and six. So they've already played this week as we record on Sunday morning and the Jets are 0 and six. Um, oh, those jets. Uh, so <laughs> what, I was gonna, what I'm getting at though is that it is not inconceivable that because this division is so bad that Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in and wins, you know, enough games to get them to seven and nine and in the playoffs at seven and nine, right? Seven and nine in the playoffs because the division's awful, whatever they get to host a playoff game at Jerry World, Jerry makes a little bit of money, but I don't think that that's enough to like a seven and nine, this seven and nine Cowboys team would be enough to like go much farther than that. You're arguing to get in the, to get into the dance. I'm going to argue that. It's beneficial, more beneficial long term to get a good draft pick because of how many holes we're pointing out are on this Dallas Cowboys team on the defensive side of the ball. The great offensive line from four and five years ago is now aged out and they've missed that window. They need some more help there. And so I, I guess I look at it as what is your goal with this, Dallas? That's why I gave the B minus C plus route, right? As I'm looking at is your goal to make that run this year? If so, then obviously Fitzpatrick is a better football player. We can both agree there. Is your goal to have a better football team when Dak is healthy and ready to go? Well, then that's not really the best move for that. And, and so I guess I would like to see something out of Jerry that points to what he's trying to do. I will say it looks like a lot of his moves have been towards win now, like the way they gave Dak the franchise tag and things like that. Like those kinds of moves have been to a win now, not a long-term thing. So maybe Jerry and you are on the same mindset. I don't tend to think Jerry has a great mindset. So I don't know if that's a good <laughs> argument or not. Um, so I guess that's how I look at this. Whatever. He's a billionaire. If I have the same mindset as Jerry, I feel good about my life. Um, <laughs> but but I will say this. So all the pieces that you just laid out. So I want to go to the worst case scenarios here. So let's say you get Ryan Fitzpatrick in. Dallas is still awful. The worst case scenario is they're going to get a good draft pick at the because you're not going to have to give a first round draft pick for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They already demoted him to the backup. So listen, it's going to be a six round draft pick, maybe a fifth at best. Right. So doesn't feel like you're giving up a ton necessarily. Now, the other pieces, let's consider these things. Let's say that Dak comes back and Dak actually isn't what he was pre-injury. Well, now Fitzpatrick's a better option to at least steady the ship next season as you get a high draft well, pick again, right? You'd have to, you'd have to sign him because his contract is up. Well, let me season. just say, this is the other piece. Like, let's say that Dak decides, screw you, Jerry, because you should have paid me before. He decides, I'm not coming back, and if you sign me to a franchise tag, I'll just sit out. Well, again, Fitzpatrick is a better option to steady the ship than well, that's Andy what I'm Dalton. Saying is you'd have to you have to also sign Fitzpatrick. That would be easier once he's known. But yeah, one, and what if Fitz? Here's the thing with Fitz: if he's on the team, man, it's easier to keep your dude than it is to bring in someone new. No, that's that's so, correct. It just I, we're assuming that they that he would resign. But we, well, I'm I, yeah, I'm assuming that Jerry's going to have enough money to find a way to get Fitzpatrick. Because keep in mind that if Dak doesn't, if Jerry offers him the franchise tender, Dak never signs it. All that money's available that's not you don't that's oh, not correct. cap money yeah. so of course there, you're gonna have enough to pay fitzpatrick because you're not gonna have no, to pay fitzpatrick not, that money i'm not you know? saying that the assumption is because they wouldn't have money i'm saying the assumption is that because that's what ryan wants to do that, that's all no, I'm the only at. the only thing that to me would prevent fitzpatrick from coming back to the cowboys in this scenario that i'm painting would be if he retired that's it otherwise no is, one's gonna pay him more he is 37 he is, years old yes yeah. i know <laughs> i know that so i'm not saying that that's out of the realm of possibility but here's what i would say with ryan fitzpatrick if he felt like oh wait a minute they're gonna pay me let's say 15 million dollars because let now in this situation Dak's not coming back they're gonna pay me 15 million dollars and i'm gonna play one more year here why would i not take that 15 million dollars for one more year of football i could always retire after that season right the other piece to consider is that (laughs) the division is bad i don't think that andy dalton is good enough even in this bad division to elevate the cowboys to win it i think that the best quarterback is carson wentz and we just saw that on thursday with what he was able to do so get fits in to make it competitive but again if you lose games you get a high draft pick but let's say you win them let's say you actually do win the division at seven and nine again you're in the dance i've seen teams win the super bowl in this division without having great records but let's even if your draft pick is a little lower in the draft order jerry's actually done really well with draft picks like people 
you can knock Jerry for a lot of things, but this is the dude who ended up drafting Zach Martin. He drafted Travis Frederick. He took Jalen Smith, like uh, uh, Vander Ash out of Boise State. The dudes who he drafts, they have an impact on the team, man. So he actually will, does well with them. I will say I think that that's been one of the more underrated things about the Dallas Cowboys the last seven or eight years has been that, you know, I guess internal stuff and living here in Dallas, people on sports radio say, oh, I heard so-and-so made that decision. I heard so-and-so made that decision. But whoever's making it at the draft, Dallas has made smart decisions across the board Dallas has a lot of guys on their team that are dudes who they drafted that can play right right for the the last seven or eight years and so I guess you know regardless of who that person is making the final call on that they have done that well and so I guess you are that that is fair to say that like the 16th pick versus the you know I would say they could get down in the top five the pick will be a good pick if things continue to trend how they're trending regardless of where it is absolutely and then the question becomes because this is what's all interesting to me what I don't know what Jerry genuinely wants to do with Dak. Like, if you genuinely, it seems like if you really want to keep Dak, you would have taken care of that. So now the question is, does he really even want to keep Dak? Because if he does not, then Fitzpatrick still makes sense because now you have him in there and you can draft the quarterback that you want. So now let's say Fitzpatrick comes in and stinks to join up. You can get a really high draft pick and maybe it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. But even if it's not, you can get the kid out of North Dakota State with a middle draft pick and you can have Fitzpatrick mentor him or you can get the dude out of BYU and have Fitzpatrick mentor him so whatever situation you want it seems to me like you don't lose getting Fitzpatrick the only question is does he fit into your salary cap this year because of the cap situation with Dallas and what they did with franchise tagging and all the guys who they paid for this year that's really the only question to me well and I guess as I look at Fitzpatrick I sit on I don't know what Miami demands for him you you feel like that they're going to get for a six-round pick, I would imagine they're going to be more shrewd than that at this point in the season. Because he's your backup quarterback, hands. he's your backup quarterback. So like, you can only be so shrewd. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck with him, and you don't get the extra draft capital. And it's not like you have the the trade deadlines the third, so you only got a few days to even figure this out. It's November third, so it's not you know it's not far away. It's really right around the corner. But Miami has a good number of draft picks after the move that they've made the last couple years. They have two first-rounders, two second-rounders, a third, two fourth, and two sixth, and a seventh. I guess what I'm getting at is that they can be, I mean, they're not like, we need draft picks, we're screwed, or whatever. Like, they've got plenty of picks. I understand they have I understand they have plenty of picks, but you tell me the team is like, you know what, we have too many draft picks. <laughs> no, I, I'm saying that, that that's another argument for why they could be shrewd with it, because he's only $4 million on the books for them this year. Dallas is in a lot more trouble financially I guess if you're looking at how tight their books are than Miami, because that four million was not going to hit Miami is not hitting Miami the same way, because it was a very front loaded deal when they signed out to be a backup quarterback. I think because they kind of thought they were going to move on from this year anyway, because they were tanking for Tua, right? But and they've got the picks to where they can feel like you know we're comfortable demanding a X Y Z draft pick, and so I I guess I wonder what they'll ask for it. I will say if you are Jerry and you are trying to win now, and I think there are some indications based on like what he's paying Amari, what he's paying Demarcus Lawrence what he's paying Zeke, what he's paying Jalen Smith. There is implication that they're trying to win now. And so maybe that is the way to go with it. I just, I don't know that that's necessarily the smartest way to go about it. But The Miami Dolphins would be bidding against themselves in the scenario that you just outlined. Nobody else wants Ryan Fitzpatrick. The only team that would want him is the Cowboys. So if the Cowboys came to you and offered you anything and you were like, no, the Cowboys could just walk away and now you're stuck with Fitzpatrick and one fewer draft pick. And the reality is we're... the. The picks that I'm talking about, we're talking about a sixth-round pick. Let's say, at best, a fifth. You just told me Miami doesn't have a fifth. The question is, does what's Dallas's draft capital, right? Maybe they have an extra pick at the back end of the draft. And, of course, if they have that, then they can offer it. And if Miami's like, you know what? We're holding out for a third. Well, awesome. Bye, Felicia. Hold out for your third and let's see who gives it to you. Nobody's going to give it to you. So you would, you'd be bidding against yourself. I actually think that the Cowboys approach this situation from a position of strength because no one wants Fitzpatrick, including Miami. Because they want Tua, right? So if we offer you anything, you should be happy that you're getting that and then take it. And as a team in Miami who's definitely rebuilding, let's get as many players in as possible. I think it actually benefits everyone. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our final thesis statement. A couple of coaches that both of the teams that we root for are pretty darn familiar with. So the thesis (laughs) statement reads, the only Van Gundy that should be coaching in the NBA next season is Stan. So I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth, and how do you grade that thesis statement? Um, I give it a very high A, A plus, whatever. I'm not I'm not leaning off this one. Stan, I'm excited about as a coach. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I'm very high on Stan Van Gundy. What do you think? 
So here's the thing. I'm really low on this thing. I'm like a D. But the reason why I'm low is because I don't know that any Van Gundy's need to be coaching in the NBA next season. <laughs> so let's talk about that during the next segment. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, you are now going to try to convince me that Stan Van Gundy deserves a job. But let's, <laughs> with the, <laughs> <Not really. laughs> with the crux of this thesis statement, is really about Jeff Van Gundy and his validity, especially because you're a Houston Rockets guy. He used to be the Rockets coach. He might be coming back again. The only Van Gundy that should be coaching in the NBA next season is Stan. Talk to me about your thought. Well, I guess I gave an A because I was focused more on Jeff in this thesis because Stan is coaching. <laughs> next season, he got hired by the New Orleans Pelicans. And while I'm excited, about him for a couple of reasons what I, I guess it really came back to is that no 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 don't go sign Jeff Van Gundy <laughs> that that's really what I came to with Houston Jeff hasn't <laughs> coached since 2007 um, a lot of Rockets fans will remember those T-Mac and Yao teams uh, that seem to get injury plagued every year about the end of the playoffs and I think in 2020 we're realizing the coach has a lot to do with the wear and tear on guys that was frankly a constant critique of Mike D'Antoni was that he does not rotate guys well enough and guys are burnt out by the time they get to the second round and conference finals, right? Um, we're, we're placing a lot more blame on that on coaches than we were 13 years ago, but the science is probably the same if you go back and look at it, right? If you go back and look at numbers and when guys wear out and so on. I also look at Van Gundy and his 13 years as an announcer, and there hasn't been a whole lot of buzz about pulling him back into the coaching ranks in the last 13 years. Like initially there was a little bit, but basketball has changed so much in that time. Think about 13 years ago. We're talking about Yao Ming. I love watching <laughs> Yao. Yao was, tre- Yao was tremendous. He was a great defender. He had great 15 feet in post game, but you don't feed it to a post, you know, nine foot mark and let him go to work anymore. You that's, literally that's- described what the game was like 13 years ago. It's like, oh yeah, we got this great post guy with this 15, 15 feet in. He's like, nobody wants that anymore. No, he just, he, that we don't, do that anymore in the modern game the deal with Yao had been he'd been expanding his game out I actually would argue Yao would be a good player in today's game because he would have changed what he was doing he would have stopped shooting 18 footers and started shooting 23 footers right and those kind of but that's not here there what I am getting at is that the style of basketball Jeff coached is gone there is no indication from his time as a head coach to his time as an announcer (laughs) that he is ready to coach modern basketball he seems to be only a candidate in Houston currently frankly i'd argue because he currently lives in houston and they know he's there like, it's a, it's I don't, a very easy interview you don't have to fly yeah. him in <laughs> i don't i don't get it i don't get it so i gave this a high grade because stan is coaching and he needs to be the only one coaching so um, so you did not because i guess you're going to go some different route on this yeah i mean so let me say this the the one caveat with jeff van gundy he actually is doing some modern coaching he coaches one of these uh olympic teams with these high school guys so if you start thinking about like him versus stan in terms of their ability to relate to the modern player believe it or not jeff van gundy probably has the leg up on Stan from that standpoint, when you start thinking about how Stan Van Gundy was able to manage a Dwight Howard. Now, everything else, you're 100% correct about with Jeff. So I don't feel like I need to dive too much into that. The reason why this thing is a D to me is because I don't know that Stan Van Gundy deserves a job either. So friends, let's reflect on the career that is Stan Van Gundy's, okay? He was in Miami as the head coach. He did such a good job there that Pat Riley fired him and took the damn team over to win a championship because he felt like Stan couldn't do it, right? Shaq called Stan Van Gundy the master of panic in the championship season. That's what he called him. So Pat Riley looked at that dude and said, that dude's not championship material. So then he goes on to Orlando. And listen, the run in Orlando is a solid run. He gets to the NBA Finals. They took out LeBron James and one of his Cleveland teams, right? He got the most out of Dwight Howard. No one got as much or more out of Dwight Howard as Stan Van Gundy was able to do as a head coach. And no rings there. The end wasn't great. And so he takes a couple of years off. He does the thing that coaches say they're going to do when they take a couple of years off. Right? He goes, he studies film. He goes watching other coaches to get all these ideas. So then he comes in and he takes the whole show over in Detroit. He's the president of basketball operations and the coach. And in the three, no, in the four seasons that he's the head coach and head of personnel, they made the playoffs once. They got swept out of it the year that they made it. Uh, Andre Drummond was the dude there. He's no longer there, 
right? There was contentious relationship there. He ended up bringing in a washed up Blake Griffin, right? I mean, so I'm not sure that Stan Van Gundy has done anything to make me say he should be coaching and Jason Kidd shouldn't, or Mark Jackson shouldn't, or Sam Cassell shouldn't get his head coaching gig, or you shouldn't go into college and go find a guy, especially considering that Stan Van Gundy, at every stop, at every stop, rubbed a star player the wrong way. He rubbed Shaq wrong in Miami. He rubbed Shaq, he rubbed Dwight Howard wrong in Orlando. He rubbed Andre Drummond wrong in Detroit, and now you are New Orleans, and you've got Zion Williamson. He has all the potential in the world to be the next star in the NBA. And so now you brought in Sam Van Gundy, who doesn't necessarily get props for being able to relate well to players. you got this young team. I To me, that wasn't the move, man. Sam Cassell would have been a much better move. And I understand that you kind of got rid of a D'Antoni disciple, so you didn't want that again. But D'Antoni would have been a better move. New Orleans, there were better moves to make. Mark Jackson's a better move in New Orleans. Mark Jackson coached a young Golden State team, and and those dudes were losers. He coached the young guys, and he built the foundation for the championship, and then they started winning. So, to me, Van Gundy's not a great option there. Instead of disagreeing on other guys and because I, I don't want to diminish them i also would love sam cassell in houston frankly he's got great history as a player there right? absolutely he's got the big ball dance um what I, what I will say though is that i think stan gets a bad rap because we remember the years in detroit uh and so i want to go a little bit more about stan than like going through why i Anyway, I don't want to diminish too many other guys on this, but if I look at Stan, right, he in the year before they get Shaq is fifty nine and twenty three with that Miami team, right, and that team is really really good. Obviously, it's got a second year Dwayne Wade, and so they fizzle out in the playoffs in the second round. But that that's a good fifty nine and twenty three basketball team. I mean, fifty nine twenty three is is a tremendous record, right? Dwayne Wade's rookie year, they're forty two and forty with a team that had a top five pick the year before and a rookie Dwayne Wade. So again turning things around. He gets fired 20 games into the next season for Pat Riley to take over. Again, they traded for Shaq in the offseason, this and the other thing. Um, it sounds like the more I read about that, and again, that's the the you know two-cent research we're doing to do this, but the more I read about that, it looks more and more like Van Gundy had issues with Shaq being lazy. He would not have been the first person at this point in Shaq's life to have called Shaq a lazy offseason player. And Shaq would respond later by saying it was really more about Riley wanting the job than about Shaq not wanting Van Gundy and so you know you know and then you know about 15 years later Shaq hanged his story again so I, I guess it depends on what Shaq you want to listen to um, <laughs> <laughs> it, that, that's true though like it's a very different thing for all this star player criticism he gets for his relationship with Shaq Dwayne Wade is an ally of his so like while he was the young guy that he you know was working with Van Gundy and was not necessarily the same star before Van Gundy's exodus that Shaq was before Van Gundy's exodus Dwayne Wade is an NBA star that gets along with Van Gundy, right? And so I would argue that that's important. He also took a title team to the NBA Finals that had Dwight Howard and Hidu Turkoglu, right? Like, like, and like, like, like that's well, a team. We, okay, we could knock that team, but Hidu Turkoglu, Jameer Nelson, them dudes was ballers. Those dudes were all stars. So let's not knock them because historically they're not Hall of Famers and names that we remember. Let's remember them for being all stars in the year that they got to. The finals, right? Because LeBron took LeBron was the same thing. He basically went up against LeBron. And if what we want to say is Dwight Howard took a bunch of nobodies to the finals, LeBron took a bunch of nobodies and played Dwight Howard. So there we go. Right, but the, anyway, they also beat several other good teams, including a good. Anyway, that's that's what I think. That's a tremendous victory as far as his record goes when you look at his team. Because again, he did get to the NBA Finals. You were just talking in the NFL theses about getting to the dance. He got to the NBA Finals and played a tremendous Lakers team. Right, played Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol the whole night. He also, again, if you look at those teams more statistically, ran a very very strong defense because he had a big shot blocker and Dwight Howard in the middle. Right, so he runs this funneling defense that is tremendous and whatnot. And now he gets a job in New Orleans where they have a guy like a Zion that makes tremendous backside block plays. They have length in guys like Brandon Ingram. They have a good team that's built to be good defensively. And if you want a coach to instill anything in your young team, it is the defense. Because they will work on their offense in the offseason year after year after year and get better. If your head coach is instilling defense, I'd argue that's a stronger play. I'm not going to disagree there. What I will say is that the defensive system that he was running in Orlando worked well 11, 10 years ago when the NBA was different. I don't think that the NBA plays the same. So what he's got to show me is that he could do the same level of defensive system 
with modern players. And Detroit, I mean, the defense wasn't bad in Detroit. So Defense I, wasn't bad in Detroit, and that's where I'm going, is that in Detroit, he catches a lot of flack because he is evidently, I mean, evidently being that there is evidence to show he cannot do the president of basketball operations job. Right, he cannot. He is not good at evaluating talent in quite the same way that a president of basketball ops has to do. He's not great at pulling in pieces and putting them together. However, they did have a strong defense that he was coaching, and New Orleans did not hire him to do the president of basketball operations. They hired him to be a coach, and we're talking about him as a coach. And so, I would say that that's something we got to make sure we weigh when we look at the Detroit thing because that's an that was an awkwardly put together roster. You'd agree? You did not want to weigh that with Bill O'Brien, but you do want to weigh it with Sam Van Gundy. That's fine. Um, what I will say there, the, the Bill O'Brien <laughs> argument was all about being a gm that anyway <laughs> you, yeah okay so my my point here is this right we can say whatever we want to about stan van gundy you show me the the team that he's had in the last 10 years that had any level of success like seriously the last time that he had real success in the nba was those orlando's teams a decade ago when he was with the i understand the basketball operations piece and i know that that's significant so i'm not trying to say that it's not but you had one playoff season in four years in Detroit, you weren't even sniffing the playoffs. Otherwise, your teams were awful. So now this is the dude that deserves a shot over Sam Cassell or deserves a shot over Jason Kidd or deserves a shot over Mark Jackson or deserves a shot over some college coach. Like, there's nothing that Stan Van Gundy has done in the last 10 years that says, this dude should come coach Zion Williamson. What it feels like is we actually tried to get some other guys. Like we wanted Ty Lue, but Ty Lue said the Clippers gig is a better gig than the New Orleans gig. And because we couldn't get the guy who we wanted, and maybe we put some feelers out. Maybe we wanted Billy Donovan, but he took the Chicago job. Like we tried to put some feelers out, and people, for whatever reason, don't seem to want to come here. And Stan Van Gundy did want to come here, so we were able to figure it out there. Uh, I don't know. There's nothing about the fit to I, me that says Zion and Stan Van Gundy. It's going to work. Even Dwayne Wade. What we have to understand about Dwayne Wade is Stan Van Gundy was the coach that he got drafted to come play for. No, no one else likes Stan Van Gundy, right? Well, I mean, it, unless you, I don't. We can discuss Tobias Harris being awesome, and I think Tobias Harris liked him in Detroit. But what I what I get at more is that if you look at the two years following that playoff appearance you're talking about. Blake Griffin also plays a combined 25 game. That's his fault. He drafted, or he traded for him. Like, so. Again, again, though, they didn't hire him to come beat the basketball ops guy. Okay, but figure out how to coach him then once you get him in the building. Like, I mean, I don't know. Figure. He was hurt. He tore his ACL in the season before. Anyway, so what I'm getting at here is that there's also things to weigh in there. It's like, yes. They were sitting around just under 500, right? Like just under 500 in the second season and or 37 wins in the second season after Blake Griffin, but he's hurt the whole time and 39 wins in the season after that. He only plays 25 games. And so, yes, that's not great, but you look at those rosters again, awkwardly put together and the star of the team is not healthy to play. Like that's not the star of the team. The star of the team was Andre Drummond. Andre because Drummond. No, 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 hurt. no. The star of the team was Andre Drummond because Andre Drummond was the best player on the team. Andre Drummond, at this point in his career, is better than Blake Griffin, and that was always a part of the issue with Stan Van Gundy. He could never look at Andre Drummond and understand the star that he was, and then run the system around him the way that he needed to. And now, what we're going to do is say he's going to be able to figure that out when he hasn't figured that out. He's never done that. Shaq was the star, and he couldn't find a way to make it work. Now, listen, we knew that Dwayne Wade was emerging, and maybe that's what Stan Van Gundy always knew, and that's why it was wonky in Miami. But there was a dude who had four rings at the time, right, and a kid. And so now we go to Orlando. It was the same deal. Like, Dwight Howard felt like you didn't treat me like the star that I deserved to be treated as, and that's why that didn't work. And now we see the same thing in Detroit. And so now we're questioning... I'm just going to question that in New Orleans. Here's what's going to happen. Stan Van Gundy is going to have to prove to me that he can manage this deal because I'm I listen, believe me or your lying eyes. I'm going to believe my lying eyes because my lying eyes have told me that he can't manage this. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. I like that we got a little testy there at the end, Parker, because when we get a little testy, I think the people like it. I think that's what the people want. I think the, <laughs> I think the people want to see us in a steel cage pay-per-view match. I am too old for that. <laughs> like, Parker would kill me. Parker is, like, doing CrossFit and stuff. This is crazy. I hear the NFL in the background, so I want to go watch this. So, uh, Parker, give everyone our socials so I can go watch the games. 
Uh, you can forward all of your Stan Van Gundy related tweets, including tweets of his own, because he's got quite the Twitter feed. To yes, me he does. Painsworth512, that's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512, all one word on Twitter and Instagram. I also respond to the FN Sports Twitter feed, that's at FN Sports 2, F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word, all you dash P-A, Shaka use dash C-C, so you can tell which one of us you're talking to. Shaka, we got Instagram. Absolutely. You can catch us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on socials at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That is me on Twitter. That is me on Instagram. Friends, thank you for listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Grace, and I'm an indie vet. I'm also home from work at 6 and already transformed into a princess. Mommy, put on your crown. That's because I've got complete control of my schedule, plenty of shifts that fit my life, and a team like no other. It's a whole new way to vet. Indie Vets.